Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. Today, we have a Q&A. It has been a while since I have done a Q&A by myself, but with um, all that is going on in the world, we are secluding ourselves quite a bit and just making sure that we are being safe. So today, I'm doing a Q&A by myself. And I am taking questions from the email, which you guys can send your questions through the form that we have. It's a podcast Q&A form where you can fill out as much detail as you want. Um, And that is – there's a link to that in the description. So you can click that link. You can head over there. You can fill out that form. You can ask me any question. And then the rest of these are coming from the Instagram. So shout out to everybody who commented on that post. Um, The post was just me holding headphones. Um, If you didn't see that, head over to Instagram. My my handle is at Cody.BoomBoom. And go comment on that because everybody was commenting, giving me their questions and tagging people they want to see on the show. So shout out to everybody who was tagging other individuals that they want to see on the show. Shout out to everybody who was commenting and saying that they were already subscribed. And shout out to everybody who asked a question. Um, I love the engagement. I appreciate the connection with all of you guys. And it means the world to me when I get to connect to my listeners. So please keep doing that. Head over there and comment on that if you haven't yet. Thank you, everybody, for doing that. Um, Shout out to Chrissy, who won the competition there. I chose her. Um, Your shirt is on the way, so you're getting a tailored coaching shirt, as well as the ebook, which I already sent you, the Built For You ebook, um, because that post was a uh, contest as well. So watch out for those guys. I'm going to do more of those in the future because I want to get these shirts out because um, I want people representing the tailored coaching method. So um, before we get into the show, I want to give a quick shout out to my sponsors, the first one being Top Notch Nutrition. If you want to save a little bit of cash on your next supplement order, head over to topnotchnutrition.com slash boom boom and add the coupon code boom boom at checkout. Um, every single day I take the vitamin D, I take the fish oil, I take the hydrate, I take the greens, and I usually take the pre-workout. And that's kind of my staple, and I and I, lie. I actually take the mind and the sleep. <laughs> and, and I'm actually a huge fan of the sleep, which I think goes uh, very unrecognized for most people. They forget how important sleep is for fat loss, for productivity, for health, for mood, for hormones, for muscle growth, so many different things. And since I started sleeping seven plus hours a night – whoa, has it been a game changer for my productivity and for what I'm doing in the gym. And I'm building muscle at a much faster rate. In fact, I've gained three pounds in the last month um, and I'm not gaining fat. So it's been really cool to see, like obviously I'm in a surplus, but I'm also really doubling down on sleep. And one of the reasons why my sleep quality is so high is because of the sleep formula that Top Notch created. Um, I take two of those every single night before bed. There is some neurotransmitters like GABA in there. There's lavender, there's melatonin. It gets me to sleep and most importantly, it keeps me asleep. I gave Shannon some recently and she was like, whoa, that really helped. And it, that was a cool thing for me because I knew it wasn't placebo when it helped her out too because she she doesn't always buy into this kind of stuff. So um, head over to topnotchnutrition.com slash boom boom for that. And then the last one is Creapure, which I believe is the cre- the purest creatine on the planet. I've been recommending Creapure for almost a decade, well before I actually knew the people that were involved in it. Um, and they reached out to me after hearing me recommend it so many times for free. So it's it's an honor to be collaborated with them. Make sure if you guys are taking creatine, which you probably should be, find something that has a Creapure label on it. So you can find brands like Muscle Feast, for example, but go to Amazon, buy something like that, make sure that the creatine has the Creapure label on the 
the the tub because that's how you know it's pure. That's how you know it's the highest quality possible. And that's how you know you're getting the stuff that is used in the research studies. Now, without any further ado, let's jump in to this Q&A. Question number one, Nick Van Montfort. Can an autoimmune disease compromise recovery? And if it is the case, can macros influence this? Would it be better to raise protein above the normal recommendations? This disease is called lichen planus and attacks skin and mucosal, mucosal tissue. Mucosal. Is that a typo or is that a real thing? Um, I might not be fully acquainted with that vocabulary, Nick. Uh, but uh, let's just kind of run through this real quickly. Uh, first and foremost, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a disease preventative specialist. I'm not an autoimmune specialist whatsoever. Um, I have worked with many people who have autoimmune diseases, so I do have some experience from a nutritional standpoint, but by no means am I claiming to be a doctor uh, or anything like that. Uh, but can an autoimmune disease compromise recovery? One million percent. Um, an autoimmune disease is 99% of the time is going to be physiologically stressful on your body, depending on what it is. And it sounds like this one specifically, um, it, it attacks the skin and something tissue. So it's attacking cells in your body, which is probably telling me that you're under some stress. And I don't know if I know any autoimmune disease, to be honest with you, that isn't a stress on the body whether that's stress on your joints, whether it's stress on your brain, whether it's stress on your gut, whether it's stress on your hormones, um, there's always going to be stress placed on your body, the cells of your body, your respiratory system. Autoimmune diseases have um, a wide variety of symptoms and issues and, and causes and, and things like that. But um, at the end of the day, it's more than likely going to be creating stress in your body. And if you're creating more stress because of this autoimmune disease, you're compromising recovery, plain and simple. And, and that's just a fact because everything goes into recovery. Um, if it is the case, can macros influence this? Yes and no. I think that, you know, if, if this is why going on a fat loss diet is very difficult for people who have autoimmune related disease, because you almost need to find remission or, or, or get to a place where your, your biofeedback is not being too greatly negatively impacted from this autoimmune disease before you can really get the most out of a fat loss diet. Because we have to remember when you put yourself into a deficit or a fat loss diet, guess what you're doing? You're stressing the body out more. A deficit is a stressful thing on the body. So if we're putting our body in more stress through a deficit and we have this autoimmune-related disease um, causing more stress, then we're going to be shit out of luck. So how can we influence this? Macros can play a role, more so calorie intake. So I think making sure that you're not in a deficit is probably the best bet until you get your symptoms under control or you're making sure that you're you're not going in a deficit and overdoing training. So I think if you're going to go into a deficit, try to focus on diet being the vehicle for fat loss versus training. And you need to really tone down your training volume to limit stress somewhere. You need to get more sleep. You need to manage work better. You need to manage your relationships better. I think this is kind of one of those games of leveling out the shelf, right? We have this parasympathetic and sympathetic self, this, the stress and this relaxation, this recovery shelf. You need to be putting as much stuff into the recovery shelf as the, uh, stress uh, shelf so that they even each other out and they weigh the same. I think when we have too many things on that, that side of being high stress, we are too, we're in a sympathetic driven state too frequently, and that's going to cause more stress and that's going to cause an issue. So more so than macros, I think calories in general play a bigger role. But then inside of that, I think the macros in influence the autoimmune disease based on which autoimmune disease it is. You know, there's 
multiple autoimmune related diseases or hormonal issues that will work better with focusing more on fats. And there's also some that will work better with focusing on carbohydrates. And there's some that have nothing to do with macros whatsoever. And it's completely based off food quality. So it's less about a specific macro ratio and more about eliminating junk food out of your diet and processed food and and inflammatory foods that you are consuming. So do macros play a role? I would say yes, um, because they play a role in how we're recovering, but how they play a role is dependent on the autoimmune-related disease and the rest of your lifestyle. Um, you asked if it would be better to raise protein above the normal recommendations. I don't think so. Um, you know, if, if you want to because you're hungry, if you are a really light individual, so say you ha- you're 110 pounds, you can eat more than that. Uh, but then it also depends too because depending on the autoimmune-related disease, you may not want to eat more protein. Um, if it's if it's a autoimmune related disease that would be negatively impacted from that, which I wouldn't know um, if it is or not, because one, I don't know you or, or this exact disease per se, but also we have to consider the fact that um, if this autoimmune related disease has anything to do with your gut, which many of them do, more protein might not be the answer because that might create more stress in your gut because it's harder to digest and break down. So um, the answer is, would it be better? Maybe not better. Would it be fine? Probably. Um, and that's about as much info as I can give you on that. You know, like I think at the end of the day, the answer is yes, autoimmune diseases can definitely compromise recovery and you have to really focus on managing and optimizing recovery everywhere else in your life to make sure that you're not putting too much stress on your body as a whole. All right. Uh, Lizzie Shell, 22. I'm a 22-year-old female and one of Caroline's clients. Shout out to a TCM member. I run ultra marathons, 50 to 100 miles. Damn. So I run four to five days a week and spend a lot of time running in the mountains. Um, I know exactly who you are, Lizzie. Uh, as a team, we, we work in and, and kind of a collective. So we're constantly sharing thoughts, ideas, strategies, and collaborating on client stuff. So, so most of us know all of each other's clients, which is really cool. Um, which is cool. Cause when you hire one of us, you hire us all really. Um, I do full body workouts three days a week because I have aesthetic and overall fitness goals as well. Now for my question, why is it that I can back squat significantly more than I can deadlift? I know deadlifts are supposed to be a heavier lift for most people. And in my CrossFit days, three years ago, I could deadlift well over 200 pounds. However, now I can barely deadlift 155 pounds for four reps. I can squat 165 pounds for eight plus reps. Um, I've been trying to add more glute bridges and hip presses, but they don't seem to be helping. Is this concerning? What should I do? You know, like at the end of the day, it's very hard for me to tell without seeing your deadlift. Because if I see a video of somebody's deadlift, I can say, oh, your weak point is the floor. So we need to work on a deficit deadlift or RDLs because you have to be in that stretch hamstring position or um, it's your grip or it's uh, your, your lockout. So we need to work on hip thrusts and rack pulls. There's just so many different variations. It could be a, a, a mobility stability issue. So we got to imp- implement some mobility, maybe do some unilateral work too um, because maybe it's an imbalance between each side. So there's so many things that it could be. Um, most likely, in my opinion, it's probably an imbalance or dysfunction with hip mobility uh, thoracic mobility, um, or core strength. Uh, typically when I see somebody who can deadlift that much and then it drops, one of those things, either from an injury or just from lack of attention fell off. And now you're missing that. Um, you know, there's even like, and she mentioned here too, I I cut out some of the question. Um, just got to try to summarize it. 
Um, you were talking about like if it is has something to do with running, cutting that out's not an option because <laughs> I have a comp- it's in season. I'm comp- competing, um, and I get that. But it very well could be. It, it could be one of those things where you are running so frequently and you're doing these unilateral strides so constantly that you are beating up your growing, your psoas, your hamstring tendons, uh, so on and so forth. So there's always the, the chance that it's that. Um, even in a lot of runners actually run in like an extended position. So they they have like really inflamed spinal erectors and they're kind of arching constantly um, and flaring their rib cage. It could be that too because you're running so frequently if you're constantly running in an extended position, which is normal. Like when you sprint, you go into an extension position because it's more powerful. Um, but if you do that too much, you might be creating imbalances from that. It, it's really hard for me to say. Um, and unfortunately, I can't really give you an answer without seeing you deadlift. Um, but you asked if it's concerning. I, would, I wouldn't say it's necessarily concerning, uh, but I would try to get to the bottom of it because typically, yeah, you should be able to deadlift at least as much as you can squat. Um, and if you're unable to, then I would say you do have an imbalance or a weak point that is worth spending time fixing because that weak point could very well be contributing negatively to many other things that you are doing in the gym or trying to seek for better results with running or with your physique. Ashlyn Mabs, I am a 22-year-old, <laughs> two 22-year-olds in a row, 5'7 female, been in a gaining phase for the last two months, only been lifting intelligently for about six months though, so pretty new to this. Started the, the gain at 147 pounds, I wasn't super lean when I started, but I really felt like I needed to build some muscle and strength and focus on gaining energy, regulating hormones, etc. through upping calories, and have gained about seven to eight pounds in two months. Have seen a ton of strength gains through focus on progressive overload and can visibly see muscle growth as well. Planning to gain for one more month. It sounds like you got a really good plan. Here's my question. And shout out to you for being new and jumping into this, knowing that you want to build a good foundation before you dive into a cut. Like I, I really, really respect that. That's, that's a really smart move. Um, here's my question. What do I do post gain phase? I have my wedding in September that I want to cut for. That gives me April to August, which is five months to cut. How would you suggest pursuing my cut? Um, that's tough. Um, as always, it depends. Um, if I was looking at your diet over time, it'd be easier for me to give exact information because I could say like, okay, here's your intake. Here's how you've changed your intake over time. Here's how your body adapted to that intake. Here's how fastly it adapted to that intake. And that gives me a lot more information about your metabolism, right? And how your body responds to fluctuations in calories. And that'll dictate exactly what my caloric prescription is. However, I would say that the way I would probably approach it because you've been doing a gaining phase is uh, I would probably go with a casual deficit because you are brand new to this. Um, I think because you are really new to lifting and you're still going to be progressing by the time you start this cut and you're still going to be in that newbie gains phase by the time this cut starts, I think you'd probably get more out of going into a very casual and conservative deficit because you'd probably still continue to increase performance and and build muscle during that deficit versus um, going into a huge deficit and kind of shooting yourself in the foot and not being able to make any gains. Now, somebody who had five years under their belt, I might say like, hey, go into a huge deficit so you can make the most out of it. You're not going to gain strength or muscle, but that's okay. Let's just focus on maintaining 
um, because they're they're five years in, right? And we sometimes the more advanced they get, the more aggressive of an approach they need, unless they're getting on stage, and then it's usually like a six month cut, very slow. Um, but I think in general, if, if you're building muscle and strength at such a rapid rate and you're still in those newbie phase gains, I would probably take a conservative approach. So I would probably slash your calories by 10 to 15%, which sounds like a big chunk because a lot of people will say, oh, just take 5% of your calories out. 5% of your calories will work well if you're already losing and you need to adjust through a plateau. The problem with taking 5% of your calories out at the at the beginning of a cut um, after a gaining phase is that you're probably still in maintenance at that point. Maintenance calories is not a set number. It is a range, which I've talked a lot about lately because I think this is something that people get confused on. But your metabolism is a moving target. It's a moving range. It's, it's, it's 2,000 to 2,500 calories, not 2,250. Um, so I think that it's best to take 10 to 15% because then you know you're probably dropping 5% below the bottom end of that maintenance range. Um, but that's still a conservative approach. You know, aggressive approach would be 20, 25, 30% of calorie reduction, which is some of these studies like the Matador and things like that drop 30 to 35% of calories, I believe. So um, so I would probably take a conservative approach. I would, I would literally plan on trying to lose um, about 0.5 to 1% of body weight per week, but I would be more focused on um, measurements and what you see in the, the mirror. I would start measuring yourself every probably two to three weeks. And I would take pictures every week during this cut, because if you were a newbie and you were building muscle and strength, you might go three weeks in that deficit progressing and losing fat rapidly, but not seeing any change on the scale because you're building muscle rapidly too, since you are a newbie um, and you're successfully recomping. This is one of the situations where it's possible. So if that's the case, you, you need pictures every week to be sure that like, okay, the scale didn't change. However, I look dramatically different and I know I'm progressing. Uh, but yeah, I would probably drop calories about 10 to 15%. I would make sure you're just barely under that, that, uh, that maintenance range. I would take diet breaks every two to three weeks, um, a solid three to five days at eating at maintenance to make sure you're, you're maintaining metabolism and, and muscle mass. And, and I would just take a slower approach because you're in a period of time where you could potentially still build muscle through this and, and really see a crazy recomposition. All right. Let me drink a little bit of my sugar-free rockstar. I've been stepping up my energy game, energy drink game lately. I'm a huge coffee guy, and I didn't drink energy drinks for years that much, honestly. Like, I just barely ever had them unless I had a random craving for one. But started drinking some sugar-free Rockstar again because I want whiter teeth. And the dentist told me, dude, you drink like five cups. <laughs> he goes, you want whiter teeth? What do, you, do you drink coffee? I was like, yeah. How many cups? Five. You got to cut that down. Do you eat, eat any colored fruit food? I was like, like what? Blueberries? Yeah. How many? Like two cups a day. <laughs> it's like my favorite fruit. Uh, so he's like, yeah, you basically got to change your diet if you want to have whiter teeth. And I'm not willing to cut out blueberries, but I can cut out a little bit of coffee. So Lauren M. Roberts asked, have you ever heard or used Osterian, I don't know how to pronounce that, Osterian or Osterine SARMs? My friend who does body fat testing said he had a client who went through a cut and maintained to gain an exceptional amount of muscle mass while taking it. I've also heard it's the best for leaning and muscle loss prevention. I would love to hear your thoughts. I think SARMs, it's it's one of those things where, so for people listening, SARMs, um, let me look up the exact uh, definition of the acronym. But SARMs are illegal, first and foremost. SARMs are selective androgen receptor modulators, and it is a anabolic compound. So it's essentially, it's a drug. It's illegal. Um, and the big thing there is 
not necessarily that it's illegal, but it's not as effective as other things that are illegal, like performance enhancement drugs, such as testosterone, steroids, things like that. So in my opinion, like I think if you're going to go the route of, of SARMs, you might as well just go on steroids. I think that steroids are more effective and, and if managed properly, they're, they're not super harmful. Like if you take insane amounts of testosterone, of course, they're, you have an issue. Um, but I think that, you know, SARMs have more, uh, risks than, than not. I mean, just Google the risks. I mean, from besides this, the normal, um, symptoms of headaches and, and fevers and stuff like that, and just not taken well. I mean, there's, there's long-term side effects that we're unaware of because they're, they're not approved by the FDA and they're very under researched because we're not going to invest a ton of money into researching SARMs, um, when it's not contributing to society greatly. So, or bodybuilding. Um, so I'm not a fan. I think SARMs, and there's a reason why like more people take steroids or nothing at all compared to SARMs and SARMs are like, just like this weird thing that you kind of hear about all the time, or you kind of hear about sometimes from people, but nobody really knows that much about it. And there's always different types of SARMs and it's like MK 99. And then a different one comes out. There's a reason for that. They're not that great. They're not that valid. They're not that trust, uh, trustworthy. And I wouldn't do it. I just, I, I wouldn't recommend. In my personal opinion, if you're going to go the route of taking anything that's illegal or enhancement uh, as far as drugs, take testosterone, take, uh, take growth hormone, take something that has been proven to work that bodybuilders have been using for years um, and hasn't gone away. Like those things came into this space and they stayed. And there's a reason for that. Now, I don't recommend taking steroids, but at the same time, like it's probably going to be better than SARMs, in my opinion. Now, and, and, and I'm not an expert in steroids or SARMs because 99% of the people I work with are natural. Um, I'd say 95%, <laughs> maybe 90. I have 5 to 10% of my people who are, uh, who, who are using some kind of performance enhancement drug or testosterone replacement therapy um, at enough dosages where we see a, a significant improvement in hormone levels. Both of those things are very safe. The people are healthy as an ox. They're going to live long. There's nothing wrong with it because they're not overdoing it and they're doing it in an intelligent manner with a doctor. SARMs are like black market shit that you got to get from somebody. You don't really know how it's going to work, if it's going to work, what the side effects are, and it's not that studied and it's not approved by FDA. Um, so I wouldn't recommend it. I, I think now the question of can you lose more fat and maintain muscle on it? Probably, absolutely. Um, and the same thing with like clenbuterol. Clenbuterol is another agent that's illegal that is quite dangerous, but can really stimulate your metabolism and burn more fat and maintain muscle. They give it to horses mainly. So you can, again, you can't get it legally, but, um, or prescribed you. But the point being is, is yeah, does it work? Absolutely. But two things happen. Number one, you're taking something that is potential, like there's known risks with it. There's unknown risks with it. Cause it's not well researched. It's illegal and not FDA approved. And then after that, we got to consider the fact that once you start taking stuff like this, it's going to be easier to get results with it than ever it is, again, naturally. So you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot for any natural gains that you want to make down the road. So if you want to commit to taking the stuff and you're like, you know what, every time I do a cut, I'm just going to bite the bullet and I'm going to take the, the, the drugs or whatever, do it. But I think it's one of those things like you got to be ready to make a commitment. It's not something that oh, I'm going to do like a, like a fat burner where you take it for a month. Nothing happens afterwards. These things alter your physiology. So if you're going to do it, you got to do it. But I don't recommend SARMs to anybody. The Austin Wit. What are the fundamental basics of entrepreneurship to follow for a new full-time coach from a business perspective? Really good question. Um... I also answered he so he asked 
a similar question. It was a three-part business question uh, like a week or two ago, and we did a whole podcast on it. Um, and then he asked this before that podcast released. So episode 400, which was cool that it was 400, was called Building Your Dream. We'll link that in the show notes for you. Go listen to that episode because I answered three of his business questions, and it, it was really a good story of my business evolution and, and why I do things the way I do and, and why creating value and giving back is so important and how I look at business and how I look at the industry and how I look at coaching. So really, really good episode. Please go listen to that. I think it's awesome. But you asked, what are the fundamental basics of entrepreneurship to follow for new full-time coach from a business perspective? I don't have a list of fundamental basics, but I think there's like a few things that come to the top of my head. Number one is have a mentor. Um, I, I believe heavily in having a mentor at all times. I think it's there's nothing more valuable than than hiring somebody to hold you accountable of doing the work and who has had success where you want to have success. So every mentor I've ever had has uh, one or multiple things that I desire. Successful business, successful results with clients, uh, financial wealth, uh, stability in their life, great relationships, family, friends, experiences image, whatever it is, like you learn from these people and you learn the mistakes they made in, in their pursuit to getting the things that you want to get. And it allows you to avoid those things in your future. So that's that's the first thing for sure is, is making sure that you get a mentor because I think there's nothing that can really replace having a mentor. Um, number two would be remembering why you're doing it in the first place. I think that as business goes on, you get more and more excited about marketing and copywriting and, and ads and funnels and finances and things like that. And it, it's easy to get distracted by material, uh, material items and material influences as you grow as an entrepreneur. So understanding and remembering why you started this in the first place and what your actual passion is, is probably one of the biggest takeaways or biggest lessons or tips that I would give anybody that's getting into entrepreneurship as a coach. Because I think as you as you become more successful, it's harder and harder to remember that. But I think the most successful people do constantly remember that. I, and I purposely, I, I like manually set up reminders of that. I have a huge, I'm looking at a painting right now, huge. Remember why you started is what it says. <laughs> and I have, you know, I have like daily practices that keep me entrenched in studying. I just got another certification. <laughs> I don't need another certification. I have so many. Why did I do that? Well, because I want to constantly learn. I want to constantly grow. I want to constantly get better. And the only way for me to stay in the trenches, constantly evolve as a coach, and to constantly remind myself why I do this in the first place is to constantly shed light and remind myself of the love I have for training and nutrition, period. Improvement, self-improvement. So remember why, remember why, remembering why you started, I can't talk today, is constant. I think that's a huge, huge thing for everybody. Um... Commit to the long haul, I think is another fundamental basic. Like I think, you know, empires are not built overnight. Um, I think there's a saying that literally is like Rome wasn't built overnight or something like that. Same thing. Big businesses, successful people, the ultimate physiques, all these things take time, they take patience, they take work. So just be ready to 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 put your head down, grind and and just be patient, you know? Like I, I definitely think there's value in balance and in my career I've always strived to make sure that I'm doing things for myself throughout the week, at least once a week. Whether that's a nature walk or skateboarding or going to a movie alone, I'm I'm trying to do something to make sure that I'm prioritizing my own mental space and I think that's very important. But at the same time, there was plenty of months and months and months and years 
where I was just grinding. I mean, every day, all day, it was just training and nutrition, 24-7, nonstop. It's all I did, all I looked at, all I researched, all I studied, everything. So I think there's there's value inside of being ready to grind and just be patient and think big picture. Um, I think speaking of thinking big picture, I think another one is is to make sure that you do think big picture. Like I talked a lot about this on on episode 400 where I was saying, you know, think about what your ultimate goal is and then who you need to become to achieve that. So now you're constantly thinking about what are the daily actions and things that individuals do in order to become that person. So if I want to create blank, who do I need to become to do that? What do I need to do now to start shifting to that human being? I think that's very, very important. Um, yeah. And I think that's it. I don't, I don't think you need to worry about ads, marketing niches. I think your niche will find you. I think all that stuff is, is everything else that I could give advice on is going to be found in that episode 400. But I think in general, the fundamentals are have a mentor, remember why you started and be ready to grind for the long haul. I think that's the most important thing. Cody James underscore photography. What should I do to get back into the flow of the gym routine after being out of it for 10 years? Been doing cardio for the past five months and eating right down five, 50 pounds and think it's time to change it up to lose more weight. Damn, dude. Five months, 50 pounds, 10 pounds a month. Good shit. Cody James is crushing it, dude. Well done. Um, but I agree with you. I think it is about time that you get in the gym, start doing stuff like that. Uh, my first recommendation, what should I do to get back into the flow of the gym routine after being out of it for 10 years? I think start slow first and foremost. Uh, you don't want to jump into it doing six day a week, push, pull legs and just murder yourself. Um, because one thing that we know is that if you burn out too quickly neurologically, your mental motivation to train will drop significantly. And if your mental motivation to train and diet drops, then your adherence drops and then you just kind of screw yourself. So I definitely would start slow, start with like, you know, three days a week in the gym, uh, leaving a few reps in the tank on everything and just let your body accumulate to what you're doing. Um, should you be sore? Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with being sore. In fact, it feels kind of good and, and it shows that you probably did something. Uh, but just make sure you're recovering. You're taking a few days off and then you get back at it. Um, I would I would personally join a program. I would join a group like the Taylor Trainer where you have people around you doing the same thing and you have a forum that you can communicate with um, and true coach. I would get a book that gives you a program um, I would join, start a challenge <laughs> from somebody. I would do something that makes you feel like you're a part of something. If, if you're not going to hire a coach, which is obviously the ultimate thing, I would do something that makes you feel like you're a part of something. Because when you're a part of something, you are accountable to it. So even if you buy a, an ebook that gives you a program and you set out a timeline to hit this program and you actually stick to it, you're going to be accountable of that. And you have this timeline set up and you have this idea of, of exactly what you're going to do. Um, so I would definitely recommend that, um, you, you grab onto some kind of program, um, or something. And then the last thing I would say is just, man, just like, so take it easy. Don't, don't jump into things too hard. Make sure you join something. So you have a, a feeling, a sense of being a part of something and, and you're held accountable. Um, I would also say like, make sure you, you're periodizing your approach. And what I mean by that really is, is less about having specific percentages of intensity over time and shit like that. You don't need to go advanced periodization, but rather just understand that you're going to push yourself and you're setting out a timeline for the next 12 weeks. I'm going to be dieting. I'm going to be training. I'm going to have, here's my plan. Here's how I'm getting after it. Here's my routine. You're jumping into this journey and this path and this map and this guidelines. Um, and you're going to stay more consistent because you have that right in front of you. And there's no confusion on what you're doing. You know exactly what you are doing. Um, and then because you're periodizing it, you know what comes after that. 
How does the maintenance phase look? How do you phase into that? When are your diet breaks? So on and so forth. Because you've got to give yourself breaks along the way too. You can't just continuously diet forever. Um, and the last thing I would say is make sure you get your nutrition on point. Um, if you're going to be training harder, you've got to make sure that you you might need to eat a little bit more calories. You might need to eat more carbs. You might need to track your macros. You might need to time your nutrients. You might need to add some protein shakes in there. You might need to drink more water, um, get better sleep. But like, don't just add training and expect things to just keep carrying on. Like, you've got to complement that training with the proper recovery agents too. Jay Lelane, wondering your opinion on the best exercises for ab hypertrophy. I think this is a really good question because a lot of people don't consider ab hypertrophy, right? They talk about training their abs and they do bodyweight sit-ups and flutter kicks and planks for 30, 40, 50 reps, 60, two minutes. How long can you plank? And that's cool. It's muscular endurance. But if we consider hypertrophy um, and uh, different stimulus, right, just like in, in training your quads, you shouldn't just do 20 reps squats. In fact, that's probably the last thing you should be doing. You should be doing heavy fives, <laughs> heavy, heavy five set sets of squats. And then you should be doing uh, sets of eight to 10 on the leg press and then sets of 12 to 15 on the leg extensions. And then once you milk all that you can out of that, then you add in some 20 rep squats every, every few mesocycles because you need a more advanced strategy. So why are people doing 20 plus reps of sit-ups and never doing heavy loaded um, tension-based sit-ups for shorter durations of time? doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. But if we want to really look and see our abs when we get lean. So if you want to like imagine yourself getting shredded, you get cut. If you want your abs to pop out, I learned this lesson when I did a physique show because I got shredded. Like, I mean, really, really low body fat, like unhealthy levels. And I wasn't impressed by my abs. I could see them. I could see every ab. They were, they were there for sure. And I was shredded. I had no body fat on my stomach. So you could clearly see them. But they didn't pop out like I wanted them to. Um, and I guarantee I would have seen them sooner in that cut if they were popping out. But why was that? It's because I never trained my abs. And the only time I did was in like a Metcon when we're doing uh, a 60 second interval or 30 second interval and I'm doing sit-ups and I'm cranking out 30 to 50 sit-ups. It's muscular endurance. It's great for me, but it's, it's not all that's needed for hypertrophy. When we consider hypertrophy of a muscle, we need to use a broad spectrum of rep ranges and we need to load the muscle to create as much uh, to maximal tension, essentially, um, and maximal stress and stimulus to the muscle. Because if we look at okay, a bicep curl, are you going to do bicep curls for just 20 reps? No, you're going to probably do some sets of 8 to 10 and some sets of 15 to 20. And you're going to do like hammer curls. You're going to do incline curls. You're going to do barbell curls. You're going to do supinated curls, rope curls. You're going to do different curls, right? So with sit-ups, it's the same thing. We want to use a broad spectrum of rep ranges. We want to load the muscle to create maximum fatigue um, and stimulus to the muscle. And we want to train it like another muscle because if we train it like we train other muscles to grow, then we are going to build the abdominals and that's going to present your, themselves sooner during the cut and more obviously during the cut. It's going to be very clear that you have abs. So I think my, my, the best exercises typically, um, are always going to start with flexion based. So spinal flexion, uh, both in the regular and reversed plane. So think heavy weighted sit-ups or heavy cable crunches for anywhere between eight to 15 reps, right? But you're doing load and it's heavy and it's tension, it's slow tempo and you're creating maximal fatigue and tension stimulus on the muscle. Um, and then some kind of reverse crunch or hanging knee raise. So basically you have two spinal flexion exercises, one where you're bringing your shoulders to your hips and one where you're bringing your hips to your shoulders. Um, either way you're crunching your spine, those are gonna be the two biggest bang for your buck uh, ab hypertrophy uh, exercises. 
Next, I think some kind of uh, weighted plank. So doing like a plank hold in a long lever position. So go under your elbows and do normal plank and then bring your elbows forward in front of your face probably like a couple steps, maybe like three to five inches. That's going to extend the lever arms and it's going to create a longer lever plank position. You're going to have to tuck your tailbone, pull your ribcage down and really brace to hold that position. You're not going to be able to plank as long, but it's going to create more tension and a, a stretched uh, or wider range of motion. And that's going to lead to more hypertrophy of the abs. Um, and it's going to be more, uh, it's going to be more global. So it's not going to just be your six pack. It's going to be your six pack and your obliques and your psoas and, and your spinal erectors, even like your entire torso, essentially your serratus and everything. Um, and then I would finish with an anti-rotation. Um, and I think anti-rotation is great for the obliques, but I think it's also good for general core strength and function, which is going to aid the hypertrophy as well. And this could be bus drivers with a landmine, could be Russian twist, could be Pavlov press holds where you're just, it's more of an anti-rotation where you're like avoiding rotation. Whereas a landmine bus driver, you're rotating, but it's still an anti-rotation. If you want to build your abs with it, what you would want to do is let your arms rotate to the side and your core stays put. You can have a slight rotation in it, especially if you're doing chops and stuff, but I find more, uh, I, I find better results from an aesthetic standpoint when you're focusing on more on anti-rotation. And I actually think the anti-rotation is more functional because you're resisting that, that uh, resistance, essentially. You're resisting applied resistance from an external source, source and that's going to apply greater to functional strength. Um, and if I had to add a fifth, um, actually, I'd add two more. If I had to add more, if you had, if let's say you're doing three days a week of ab training, which would be a good mix if you want to really hypertrophy your abs. One day you have a sit-up and a hanging knee raise, so you're doing a uh, basically uh, two spinal flexion exercises, shoulders to hips or shoulders to knees, you could say, uh, knees to shoulders. Uh, one day you are doing a long lever stability-based plank, so some kind of weighted plank or long lever plank, um, and a anti-rotation movement. And then one day you are going to be focusing on a carry, so a heavy zercher carry, a heavy farmer's carry, heavy half-rack carry, anything that you're just carrying heavy weight with a compressed rib cage and, and tight core for a, a duration of time. So you're just walking distance. Um, you can go really heavy and walk shorter distance, say 20, 30 yards, or you can go lighter and walk 100-plus yards. Um I would say if you want to get more bang for your buck in your core, probably go heavier and shorter distances. If you want to get more bang for your buck for uh, your traps and upper back, go longer distances with lighter weight. Um, and then I would add some kind of breathing focused uh, – dynamic breathing drill. So like a PRI, so some kind of like a, a dead bug or something along those lines. So you're really working on the breathing because I think breathing is a very misunderstood aspect of, of developing the core. It's a really good question. Um, Chrissy Williams Fitness, the one that won the t-shirt uh, in the program. So number one question, she has two. Best at-home routines to maintain and continue progressing with all the gyms shutting down due to COVID-19. Okay. I did a whole podcast on this on Monday, um, but I, I talked more about the mindset. So I think the best home routine from a fitness and health perspective, and I'm going to start rapid firing this because I have quite a bit of questions left. Oh, yeah. We're not getting through all these. Holy shit. I didn't realize I had so many. Great questions, guys. Um, so I think the best thing to do is, number one, have an at-home workout. We made sure that all of our members have an at-home workout where they're literally – some of them have bands, so we're using bands. But others, I literally have programmed – uh, YTWs with water bottles or cans of soup in your hands, um, curls and rows and inverted rows and isometric holds with a towel or a bed sheet, right? 
push-up variations, sit-up variations, leg matrixes, um, air squats, pistol squat. There's so many things that you can do uh, inside of your home with just body weight. So number one, you're training every day, have a set time where you're, you're getting it in, you're training for at least 30 minutes, but you have a body weight plan programmed out. Um, even something as simple as an air squat, you can go really slow, rip the floor, create maximal tension in your quads and do 15 to 20 reps and body weight. And, and it's crushing you. You do five sets of that. That's five sets of stimulating hypertrophy training on your legs with no resistance whatsoever. So I, I, I definitely think that. So like, to kind of like, let me, I'm just going to break down a quick routine. Number one, have a at home workout to do every single day. Number two, go on a walk every single day. Uh, go outside, walk up downstairs, go in your yard, whatever you can do during this lockdown, go walk around. It's really, really important. Number three, plan your day of eating. Uh, we are very limited on what we're eating, but that doesn't mean that we can't try to eat high quality foods and at the very least stay within our macros. And we know um, most diseases and health are preventative by just not gaining excess body fat and being obese and being in a caloric surplus. So if you can just make sure that you're staying within your macros, regardless if your food quality is perfect, you're going to be golden. So just make sure that you're prioritizing food. Um, drink plenty of water. I think right now more than ever, not only to keep ourselves healthy, but to keep ourselves hydrated in uh, everything well, drink tons of water. Uh, the next one would be sleep. We have more than enough time to get to bed early and, and probably for some of us sleep in because we don't have as much work to do or we're just not working, period. So sleep. Use this time to double down and get eight hours a night if you can. Um, and then last but not least, do something for your mind every day. Um, and I would probably argue to say do multiple things. Meditate. Write in your journal, read something positive from a mindset perspective, and then read something that's going to improve your craft. So if you're in the fitness and nutrition space, study. If you're in marketing, read about marketing. If you are in banking, read about finances. Read about something um, that is going to improve your knowledge base for the craft that you, you are going to get back to once this all blows over or that you're still doing like myself even though this is going on. I think the, the overarching theme of my answer is control what you can. You know, there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of craziness and, and tragic and crisis going on right now. But it doesn't mean we can't control certain things. You know, um, we can stay safe. We can keep others safe by staying away from each other. We can utilize our time at home to connect with family members, to read, to study, to get better, to do bodyweight training, to hit macros, to plan ahead, to get sleep, to, to recover. There's so much that we can control and, and it all comes down to the fact that your thought processes and your actions are what you can control and you will always have control over. Nobody else will. No thing will ever have control over your, your attitude and your actions. So just make sure that you're taking control of that. Uh, her second question, changes or tweaks needed for fitness and nutrition after 40 plus years of age for building and maintaining your best physique. Um, I think that there's not a whole lot that changes despite what people think. Um, I think the difference is, is like, yes, as we age, we might need a little more protein. Yes, as we age, we might have to be more cautious with uh, stress management because typically with age comes two things. Number one, your body just has more wear and tear on it. And number two, you have more stress in your life because you have more responsibilities. Typically at age 40, you're like peaking out on your responsibilities. You're probably at the the peak, like the tip top of your career. You've been working for a consistent amount of time and you haven't fully created ease or balance out of it. You probably have a family. You probably, you know, have responsibilities at your house. You have to do yard work. Like there's <laughs> the insurance, 
there's just tons of stuff that you have to control. So at age 40, I think you're at the tippy top of responsibilities. Therefore, your stress is higher, which is why we got to manage some of that fatigue from training and dieting. So I think I think more so like the things that you can change after 40, um, none of the fundamentals. The fundamentals and the principles never change, right? There's principles and methods. Principles never change. Methods often do because methods are how we adhere to the principles. So I think your principles stay the same. The methods in which you approach those principles are slightly different. You might take a slightly more conservative approach to your diet because of stress levels. Um, you might need to eat a little bit more protein because you're declining muscle protein synthesis. Um, you might not be able to tolerate so much high-intensity training uh, because your joints might not be able to handle it anymore. Um, and that's not everybody. I know some people at 40 that do better than my myself at 27 with that because I've just beaten my body up. Um, so it's completely individual. But for a lot of people who have been training a long time and that they're 40 or older, I think that it's it's better to do more slow tempo training, focusing on that negative and that concentric and the pauses, using more dumbbells than barbells, um, using cables and bands versus machines, um, and staying in that 8 to 15 rep range far, far more. Very rarely going below 6 rep range because it's kind of pointless and Usually the heavy loads are what, what create more joint inflammation and joint stress on the body. So I, I usually do switch that a bit too. Um, I typically like low-intensity cardio better than high-intensity cardio for those individuals too. So everything is just more so just trying to manage stress a little bit better um, as you age because hormones and life – declines. I mean, d hormones decline and life gets more stressful and busy. Um, and you just have more wear and tear in your body, but the fundamentals never change. And it's very, very possible to still see just as great a results at any age. LG fitness 215. How did you get the confidence to talk in front of people with in-person coaching? Did you ever have extreme self-doubt? Um, I, I don't think I've ever had extreme self-doubt, but I've definitely had self-doubt, but I say that too, in the same sense that I don't think I've had ever had legit depression, but I've been depressed. Right. And I think that cause I've been in a rut in my own life and, and I wasn't happy and, and that caused a sense of depression, but I wouldn't consider myself depressed ever. Um, same thing with, I wouldn't con have ever considered myself an extremely doubtful person, self doubtful person, but have I experienced self doubt? Absolutely. I think everybody does. Um, I do to this day. I mean, every day we're in our own minds talking shit to ourselves for lack of better terms, really just, just kind of, not being our best supporter, right? We very rarely are our biggest, own biggest fan. Usually our, we're our worst enemy. So I think self-doubt is just kind of part of being a human. Um, but I will also say that I've always been a person that took action first, thought about it later. So I'm really good about not worrying about what other people think, not fully considering the consequences, which can sound risky, but I think is more beneficial than not. Um, and I just go, I just go, go, go. If my gut tells me that I want to do something, I do it. And, and because of that, I think it allows me to do things like speaking in front of other individuals, talking on this podcast for 45 minutes now, nonstop without a script, things like that without worrying or doubting myself because I am confident in who I am. So I think that two things for this. Number one, with in-person coaching, if we're talking about being a trainer, I think that just comes down to education. The more I learned, the more I studied, the more I absorbed content and education about being a trainer, the easier it was for me to do that for people because I had more confidence in who I was because I was striving for more education and I was striving to learn more and be better and, and be smarter. And because of that, it was easy for me to come into the gym and train people in person. Um, so that's number one. Number two is 
I think that this comes from just doing the work on yourself. You know, it, it comes from me putting my, taking myself out of my comfort zone constantly, uh, doing improv, uh, doing Facebook lives, doing podcasts, doing stories, uh, booking seminars, like s- setting up seminars at gyms before I was even comfortable speaking in front of people, just throwing myself into the fire and making, putting myself in uncomfortable positions. Um, I think it's super, super important. And that helped me a ton. And that also comes down to reading specific books on personal development. And it comes down to going to retreats and, and different events that pushed me outside of my comfort zone, um, meditating, journaling, doing all these things that I could really to, to just step outside of my comfort zone and, and really tap into that, uh, that resiliency and that, that, confidence and, and you have to force it on yourself. You, it's not going to happen by accident. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely experienced self-doubt, uh, especially at the beginning, but I think it just comes down to learning more, educating more, um, and, and really putting yourself out of your comfort zone and do it in ways where you sign up for something and then you have to do it later. Because if you're on the spot and somebody's like, Oh, do it right now. You're probably gonna say no. But if you sign up and you commit for something and you have weeks to be like, fuck this is coming, this is coming, this is coming, you're going to do it. Um, or sign up for some kind of program that forces you into situations you don't know about. Like when I did improv, I did not know I was going to do improv. Um, we got put on a bus and I had no idea where we we're going. Next thing I know, we're on Hollywood Boulevard walking <laughs> over the stars and we didn't know where we we're going. And then we turned in this building and boom, it was the improv place that all these famous comedians went to. It was a really cool experience. But man, I was shitting a brick up there. It was so embarrassing and, and hard to do. But once I broke out of my shell, it was a blast and that helped me a ton. Heather AAJ, on deload week, should you lower carbs? I'm currently in a building phase, but don't want to add too much fluff. I would say no. Nine times out of 10, I'm saying no because a deload phase is a time to recover. And in, in what is dropping your calories going to do? It's going to lower recovery. So it's almost like a double negative. If I lower intensity to better recover and then I lower calories, which doesn't help my recovery. I'm basically just <laughs> maintaining recoverability. So, and, and some people will even put a diet break during a deload. Um, it, if somebody's in a deficit, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't stray away from doing a diet break during a deficit nine times out of 10, because it's, it's a time where, or I'm sorry, a diet break during a deload, um, while they're in a deficit, because if they're going into a deload, I'm doing it because they need to double down on recovery and a diet break is going to triple down on recovery. So I think that's important, but I think in general, especially cause you're bulking, I think there's no reason to, um, yeah, I know you don't want to add too much fluff. Now I would say too, like if you're eating a ton of carbs, um, and like you just don't want to force feed yourself, like you're literally not hungry, then I would say like, yeah, you can lower them a little bit, but don't like purposely try to put yourself on a deficit on a deload week just cause you're not training as much. Not only is it, is it insignificant because, the the training expenditure between a deload week versus a regular week isn't that much different. Um, and you are, and that's like energy expenditure as in calories burned per day. It's not that much different between a deload, deload session and a regular session. You don't burn as many calories in a session as you, you would think. Um, it's more about the long-term effect that training your muscles has on your metabolism and weight loss. Um, but that's a, that's a side note. It's not only because of the energy expenditure thing. It's also because we're trying to recover. So get the most out of your deload week by by allowing yourself to stay at the higher calories and actually recover fully. Okay, we're going to take one more question. Um, What do I want to end on? Damn, we got a lot of good questions. Um, Oh, this is a good one. We'll finish with this. Slaggermeister. (laughs) It's like Jaegermeister, but your name is Slager, maybe. Really good question, man. 
How has being an entrepreneur improved your role as a father and husband? And how has being a husband and father improved your role as an entrepreneur? So I think the, the latter is an easier question to answer. Um, how has being a father and a husband helped me being an entrepreneur? That's a really easy one for me to answer because I can just say that it, it's helped me become a leader. When you're responsible for somebody's life, uh, you show the fuck up. It, it's, for lack of better terms, it's a, it's a lot easier to be a great leader and to uh, make fast, smart decisions and be there for people and be a support system when you know it's it's truly relying on you. Um, and I think once I said I do and we had our wedding, it became so much more real. And I think at that very moment, it, it showed me a level of, of commitment and meaning and fulfillment that I've never experienced before. And that allowed me to pursue my career even more because it allowed me to implement that feeling um, and motivation into my business. It allowed me to show up as an individual who had that meaning and fulfillment behind him. Um, and I had a level of commitment for her that I could emulate somewhere else. And I could show that I'm committed to this business. I'm committed to my clients. I'm committed to all that. So as an entrepreneur, I think just being a father and being a husband, it allowed me to be more empathetic. It allowed me to be more responsible. It allowed me to uh, respect others' opinions um, more. It, it allowed me to consider other people's opinions more. Um, it allowed me to be a better leader. It allowed me to be a better support system. Um, and it allowed me to slow down and think before I act way more. My my personal marriage, uh, I can't speak for anybody else, um, and my personal relationship with my daughter allowed me to do all those things. And all those things greatly, tremendously helped my business um, and me being an entrepreneur. And then I would say how being an entrepreneur improved my role as a father and husband, um, I think there's a few things that stand out and a few things that actually uh, – pose challenges on being a good father and husband. Um, I mean, the obvious one is is being an entrepreneur and being a successful entrepreneur allowed me to provide for my family. So that's the obvious answer, right? Like um, my wife gets to raise my daughter at home and we don't have to do daycare. And that means more to me than anything in the world. So obviously that helped my, uh, my entrepreneurship helped my uh, relationship with my marriage and my daughter from that standpoint. But I think that other than that, honestly, I think it actually posed more challenges because – and maybe like if you, if you spin it, it, it kind of – it posed challenges and struggles which allowed me to stop, reflect, think, and improve because of. And what I mean by that is being an entrepreneur is, is stressful. It's busy and, and there's a lot of people who rely on you when you're in this kind of business, which means that you usually put them first before yourself and sometimes before your family, which is not the right thing to do. But at first, you try to do everything you can to make sure that you're successful and that your family's supportive. And it's hard as a, as a father and as a husband to remember that your family's not better off if your business is better off. Your business is better off if your family is better off. And I think it took me a little bit of time to understand that. I mean, my daughter's only two, so it didn't take me that long. But um, it took me a little bit to understand that because it was it was really blinding to, to – it was hard to see because you're so focused on making sure that your clients are successful, that your business is successful. And you think that as long as that is, is in check, that everything else will be fine. But the reality is the opposite. You need to make sure everything else is fine for your business to be fine. So, but I, I think the fact that I went through that struggle and I had to have that realization and that light bulb moment allowed me to shift and, and become a better husband and father, which then turned around and made my business 10 times better. Um, and it made me a better leader, which made my team grow, which made my business better. And it, it just kept going back and made me a better coach, which made my clients get better results, which made my business better. So, um, 
I think the most important thing, uh, the biggest things that have influenced back and forth is just one, obviously being an entrepreneur allows me to support my family financially to make sure that they can live the life that they deserve to live. And then the second thing would be that it, it, it challenged me to understand how much more important family is so that my business can thrive. And that family always comes first and as hard as, as some people make that out, um, that's always the answer. And I think that's the biggest thing it taught me. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.